Welcome to Ancient Answers. We're going to continue with the second part of the Silk Road or the Silk Route, as Shane had mentioned in the previous episode. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for joining us again, and we're going to continue on the story as we deal with how the ancients dealt with the challenges of their time and how it relates to our world today. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And here we go for part two of the Silk Road or Route. We're still have it. We're going to vote to see which which term we're going to use, but we'll get started now and tell you more of the story. Well, that kind of leads to the silk industry, the the Silk Road today. Mm -hmm. uh, silk is still predominantly produced in China. Mm -hmm. There is still an industry in in Italy, and you're going really Italy? <laughs> yeah. Your way? Yeah. Well, there's a reason. Okay. Because Justinian yeah. ordered a spy mission. <laughs> he convinced two monks to oh, travel to no. China in the 540s. They actually avoided the whole plague. To go there and pretend that they were ambassadors to the... <laughs> I remember reading about this. Yeah, yeah keep, going, right. keep going, keep <laughs> going. Uh, now, when they arrived in China, China was in a bit of a disarray. They wasn't okay. a unified uh, dynasty. Mm -hmm. But they, they were able to smuggle some of the little worms and some mulberry bushes all the way back. Which, and they attempted to work with it. However, it never really took off as well as, of course, China is well organized yeah. because uh, different climatic conditions. But yeah. close enough that in northern Italy to this day, there is a silk production and uh, silk printing as well. Yeah. They do import stuff in from China. Yeah. But the Silk Road as a name now mm -hmm. is referring to what is the modern Silk Road. And we'll finish up by just giving you some information here. China is spending a trillion dollars mm -hmm. this decade and the next decade building an infrastructure that duplicates kind of historically the Silk Road. Yeah. You know, and, and what you have seen mm -hmm. in material it is a staggering, it is the largest infrastructure expenditure in human history yeah it's a it's a series of highways and super highways that are just going to be crisscrossing rail lines Eastern Asia. Yeah, yeah exactly just it's all about moving people and goods over land in the best most efficient modern way humanly possible and it's it's absolutely staggering what they're doing they they make reference to it on the uh, the bbc series top gear they've talked about it a couple of times on there and it's, it's absolutely insane when you learn how much money they're pouring into this and how quickly they're building these highways, too. Well, not just that in the train system, yeah. which is the most efficient. I had the benefit of actually visiting China and taking several of their high-speed bullet trains yeah. and just being floored at how fast they go, how efficient they are. Everything's in Chinese and English, so yeah. certainly as an English-speaking person, I, getting around was actually fairly straightforward. Oh, that's good. Uh, you know, I traveled uh, 1,350 kilometers in three and a half hours. Oh, my... Wow. Yeah, so that's New York to Miami in three and a half hours. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, and, and the Chinese built... 62,000 kilometers of bullet trains in 30 years. And they really accelerated over the last 20 years. Wow. And and they've just, they're there. It's just like, okay. So once you build that infrastructure, transportation, shipments, getting around on land is improved. Yeah. But of course, they are revolutionizing the whole container ship 
industry, mm-hmm. and they see these sea routes, which are the exact sea routes yeah. that were done in the Silk Road era <laughs> as their new transportation routes for merchandise yeah. shipments around the world. Well, I mean, the reason why people set up in those areas way back in the day to begin with is because they were accessible via river, let's say, or they were port cities with access to the ocean, or they were... Uh, popular land routes, like like you mentioned, way stations all along the the Silk yeah, Road, and, and got c- it. cities that popped up to cater to the needs of the merchants and the traveling caravans. It's the same nowadays. It's the same kind of thing that happens where you know you put a highway in from Perry Sound to Toronto, let's say, and now you've got on routes and gas stations and whatnot popping up all along there. That's like, right. That's how that's how these things work. Well, you know, we've got we've got to give great credit to the Chinese mm-hmm. management. Uh, you know, we in the West may differ a little bit with the governmental system. Yeah, with some ideology. And yeah, that. let's put that aside. Let's compliment the Chinese for being, as they always have been through history, the mm-hmm. dominant culture in terms of the most successful, wealthiest people with only a 200-year exception yeah. uh, in history. And the creativity and the ingenuity, they are pouring it out right now yeah this is this is this they've cranked it development up into uh to you know a, a, a high rate of, of change now this episode is running a bit longer because the topic we wanted to cover that with at least some insight to encourage our listeners to go explore on their own mm-hmm. there are some awesome videos on youtube yeah uh excellent books and stuff of course we've tapped into uh, we may come back to the Silk Road uh, topic sometime down the future, but this uh, extra long episode is meant to kind of whet your appetite that something that we don't think about, because it's not maybe part of our Western culture mm-hmm. connection, and yet, without it, well, I, as I mentioned before we got prepared, let's go back in history and say, what if... Now, the Turks, in around the year 1400, yeah. the 1400s, they blocked the, 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 what we call the Silk Road. Yeah. They said, no more trade between the West and the East uh, unless A, it comes through us, and B, we don't like it anyways. And they had, of course, a little bit of ideological issues being Islamic uh, at the time, which is because the Muslims have always been really good <coughs> traders. Pardon me. Yep. They'll trade with anybody. They're oh, not no. really going to be too too picky. Uh, but they, because of the conflicts they were experiencing, they were going to cut the West and the East apart. They sowed their own demise because yeah. it forced the Mediterranean Europeans to kind of go, well, where are we going to go now? Mm-hmm. Well, let's go West across the ocean because we know the world's a ball. It's not like they thought the world was flat. That's a bit of a mis- misunderstanding yeah. in historians. They knew the world was round. They said, let's go west, we'll sail, we'll build some really good ships, mm-hmm. we'll go west, let's see if we can get to China that way. That was Christopher Columbus's excuse, yep. and they bumped into... Yeah, the Americas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and if you think of how history totally changed because of that, yeah. uh, on that case there, uh, and well, here we are... Here we are in the Americas making yeah. this this recording. Well, and, and to to further cement that whole idea of the the Ottomans sowing the seeds of their own destruction, there. I mean, like you said, they cut off trade with the Silk Road. They cut off trade between East and West, forcing the Western European and Mediterranean powers to expand outwards. So that's where you get the 
uh, the British and French and Spanish and Portuguese colonialism. You get the colonialism in uh, Africa and the Americas and the, the Dutch colonies and, and Belgians and all. Like, everyone else started exploring. But then you have the Ottomans based in Turkey who are firmly ensconced in the eastern part of Europe bordering on Asia. They don't have the same sea access. They don't have the same navy. They don't have the same... They don't have the same infrastructure, I suppose, to begin exploring. And then they cut off trade with their eastern partners. Well, they sort of backed themselves into a corner with that. And so, like you said, it was only a matter of time. Well, okay, well, everyone west of us is expanding and finding new resources and getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier as a result of this trade. And everyone east of us is still managing quite well and still trading pretty seriously like they're you know east of turkey there's a lot of territory there there's a lot of trade and, and commerce happening with within those regions and then you have them sort of in the middle stagnating you know there's not a lot of commerce there's not a lot of trade there's there's not a lot of change of ideas happening anymore that's yeah. a good point i mean certainly historians have made a great emphasis or a great to understand how ideas was just as important as merchandise because, yeah. uh, you know, the Chinese invented a number of great products as I, as I listed before, mm-hmm. uh, on that case, till the 1200s, yep. uh, really until the Turks took over it and, and sort of actually ordered the non-use of it. It was a major part of the route to get you started. Yeah, exactly. It was it was already a well-established route, a well-established, safe, well-built highway that, that crossed the entirety of the Persian Empire. That's right. So if you were ever to look on a map, just for visual reference, it basically went from the edge of Turkey against Greece, well, Turkey, Istanbul today, all the way down to the point past the Straits of Hormoz in the Persian Gulf, and it, it touched to the coast there. And then there was other routes that went farther along. But if you ever are interested, go look up on a, a maps online about the Silk Road, and you'll see the different routes that were developed over the time. Yeah. And you realize it's, it was quite a myriad of different alternate routes that could be taken. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll make a I'll make a note to actually um, when I post the episode I'll make a note to share some of the maps with it as well and give us a, give a visual aid to to our listeners as well so that they've got some reference material. But yeah, if you ever do look at a map of the Silk Road, you can see it's sort of a a debated term nowadays with historians. As we mentioned before, it was coined in the late 1800s by a German geographer as the Silk Road, but now it's it's thought to or it's. There's no real movement to change the name, but it's referred to more as the Silk Roots. That's right. Because it's a series of, I mean, ultimately the whole point is to get goods from east to west and west to east. But there's a whole network of different routes that would go north and south to all these different points, depending on what was being traded and where it was going. So it was a whole network of different roads that connected together for the one ultimate goal. Well, the Chinese had built royal roads as well. Yep. They they were known to have a good road construction. Um, they I mean they certainly built a road from Liangyan uh, through Shenyan uh, all the way up and including some areas near Donghuang, uh, which if you look on a map basically uh, covers about one quarter of the route distance, 
And then, of course, if you take the Persian Royal Road, that's about one quarter, leaving about half the distance in between. Mm -hmm. Now, it's very difficult land. I mean, you've got some deserts there. You've got some, of course, incredibly snow there for eight months of the year some of these routes Jeez. uh the, the fact that people you know men for the most part travel these routes you know without anybody knowing who they are in history mm -hmm. their names and they would do these travel is a is a tribute to their tenacity and uh you know toughness it's tough it, tough tough people there's a very strong argument that can be made that um the traders who traded along the the Silk Roots, uh, as Gordon mentioned, who are nameless to history, essentially, had far more of a significant impact in terms of culture and history than pretty much any politician, general, conqueror that we know of. They came and go. Yeah. And yet the, the lasting influences that that uh, occurred in slow motion. It wasn't like... Oh, no, they, it took they, a long time. It yeah. took a long time to travel back and forth. But that's, for the most part, for, uh, again, throughout human history, for the most part, lasting change does happen slowly. It There's does. obviously exceptions, but, uh, but for the most part, significant change does tend to take time. Well, I'm going to pick out, just as we wrap up, a couple of key points. These are cities that still exist to this day, in many, many cases. Mm -hmm. We talked about them during our episode about Alexander City. Yep. But some of these cities that were established as, uh, as trade nodes along the way, such as Samarkand, uh, Merv, and I'll get to Merv because that's a special story hmm. uh, in a second. These cities all had some interesting point. Uh, Merv was a story we, we covered another story, which was a very vibrant city of about 400,000 people that decided to betray Genghis Khan mm, and Genghis yep. Khan's reward was to kill everybody, yeah. stack their heads up on a gigantic pyramid. Never recovered. The nope. city is just an abandoned field to this day. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet it was one of the major um, focal points for the Silk Road, the yeah. Silk Trade, Silk Routes, as two major routes came together in that community. Yeah. And they had an established network of what we would call inns or hotels mm -hmm. or lodges or whatever yeah. to because they were getting in many cases up to a hundred traveling caravans a day that's that's astonishing like they have caravans a hundred caravans yeah, per day those are exceptional days but they yeah. re recorded this uh, that they would they would have so many would come in because they didn't know when they were coming along yeah, was, of course it's not like they had, a, well, I'm had sure. a cell phone and call <laughs> hey we'll be there in a couple hours yeah I'm sure some of it would have been you know okay seasonal so you can predict you know yep. a timeline of a couple of weeks when these guys are going to be coming through but apart from that it would be variable on on weather and cargo and you know illness or whatever there would have been all kinds of reasons to delay or change timelines and like you said, no, no method of communicating ahead that they were on their way. Well, when especially wealthy, or not wealthy, uh, valuable products were being sold, things like silk, mm -hmm. which had an enormous per weight value, yeah. uh, there were communications ahead where protection, we'll call it protection, was provided. Yeah. Uh, you know, many times, especially... By the time we get to Genghis Khan's time, as we made allusions to, you didn't mess with Genghis Khan's mm -hmm. uh, soldiers. Um, there was the idea that it would be a protected 
uh, route. They yeah. carried seals with them. They knew anybody who messed with them, of course, they would, would save consequences. But they would be, in a sense, escorted as well. Yeah, I believe that. And, and that was a major part. The interesting aspect was, another aspect of this was the development of a common weights and mm. measurements. Okay. There began to be a slow agreement between different systems so that you could evaluate a product at its value at the end, even yeah. in the between. And so this whole idea of universal weights, universal measurements, universal distances got its origin in that. Hmm. And uh, of course, today we have a universal measuring system called the metric system, yeah. which every country in the world uses, <laughs> except <laughs> one. Yeah, with, with, a, with a couple of exceptions. <laughs> with, with two exceptions, actually. Yeah. One is Liberia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And one is our neighbors to the south, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it's interesting that the that weights and measurements was relatively established, you know, in by the Middle Ages. Oh, so that idea also became a universal idea that got carried forth. Yeah. Well, it's a lot easier to, to trade when you're all working on the same system. You're not doing constant exchanges and whatnot. That's and, right. And it, uh, I mean, one one thing that still lasts in modern times, from you know trade back then, in particular with the Silk Road, is the idea of markups based on distance. Because you know, if That's the further right. away something's coming, you know, if you know, let's say you've got uh, a product that you want to sell and it's worth five bucks in China. And then you bring it to India, will you sell it for five bucks? Well, that merchant wants to make some money, so then he carries it a little further west. Now he has to sell it for 10. And then the next merchant carries it to Syria, let's say. Well, he charges 20 for it, and now it makes its way to Rome, and they're going to charge 30. Would you like to know what the markups were for some products? <laughs> oh, uh, do you have actual numbers There's there? actually some numbers here. Okay, um, yeah, let's go for it. During the Byzantium period time um, of uh, Justinian, so 527 to 565, it was estimated that for many products there was a six-fold to eight-fold change in price for along the route. Yeah, that makes sense. And for some products like silk, it was roughly ten to twelve. Yeah. It was so exorbitantly expensive because yeah. it was demand, right? Supply yeah. and demand. If you if people if the very, very wealthy are prepared to spend a lot of money on it, yeah. it was worth it to travel the oh, I don't know. 9,000 kilometers <laughs> on foot or by, by sea yeah. uh, to travel. That's but yes, they, that, the, the, that's the kind of profitability mm. of it. Now, how does that compare today? Well, a cell phone, which is made in many countries and bits and pieces, a cell phone average per unit cost is about $35. Yeah, go figure. And how much do they cost today? My last one was relatively cheap, and I paid $300 for it on the outset, and then I'm still paying it off with my bills. So. Okay, that's a 10 to 1 ratio. <laughs> yeah. but I and, and again, mine's on the cheap end of it. I've noticed the iPhone yes. is $1,200. Yeah, exactly. And you're telling me it's going to cost any more than 50 bucks to make? Uh, I don't think so. Mm. But there are 30 countries involved in the production of making a smartphone. Well, and, and to use a similar example, uh, one video that I watched as research for this was um, a John Green's Crash Course History, and he has a nine nine or ten minute video on the Silk Road, which was absolutely fascinating. Yes, I've seen that and, one. And he, he talks about a t-shirt that he has, and he says that 
you know, that's right. The the cotton came from this country, and then it was screen. It was put together here, and then it was screen printed here, and then it was transported here. And he rhymes off like seven different countries in the manufacture of a single T-shirt. And, and that's that's just a T-shirt. <laughs> well, it's interesting you mentioned cotton as an example. One of the articles I came across to do research for that indicated that actually cotton. Mm-hmm. Now it came primarily from India, but yeah. it came along that section of, of the Silk Roots, okay. um, was a far more important product. It was volume-wise significantly larger. Like, they don't have numbers, but it, it was a significantly uh, more lucrative product in total sales uh, in the, within the Roman Empire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. You, you don't think cotton. We think of cotton as so cheap today because yeah. it is produced and mass-produced. But... Cotton, we have to remember, until the, the cotton gin was created in the United States, it was a, a laboriously yeah, hand-processed Yeah, it was a very labor-intensive process to make it. Exactly. Yeah. So that was a big deal uh, to get that as well, in terms of more Roman money was spent on that. Yeah. But the money was actually still leaving the Roman Empire to the middlemen in between. Yeah. But generally speaking, a 10 to 1 ratio is likely was a wow. standard... For markup. For markup on that one. Man, that's pretty great. And to think, like, some merchants got unbelievably wealthy working this, because, like, like you said, with very few exceptions, no one really traveled the entirety of the Silk Roots. They would just kind of work their zone. So, you know, they would travel from A to B back and forth, buying and selling whatever products they could find along the way or at those way stations. And, of course, what was the limitation they're dealing with? It wasn't just distance. No. It was languages. Yeah, that's true, yeah. You know, uh, they, they every time you went uh, a couple of hundred kilometers, you were in another language group. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, actually, that hadn't even occurred to me. But yeah, of course, because I think a lot of times when we think of barriers in terms of geography, especially with ancient history, we're thinking of physical barriers. We talk about uh, like the borders of countries used to be on rivers and mountains and, and things like that. Um, so it's it's crazy to think about that sometimes the barrier is just distance. It's just the sheer size. I mean... Especially back then when you don't know what else is out there, you learn to live within your environment and get what you need from that environment within a certain distance because that's what that's how far it's reasonable to travel or trade. And then the Silk Road just kind of blew that out of the water and just it went, did. And, and just created this network where you could literally travel 9,000 kilometers to trade all kinds of different goods. But yeah, that actually... I'm kind of ashamed that that never occurred to me. That of course yeah. you have different languages along the way. Yeah, along you the way, you got 40 countries as you're traveling across there. So, well, that was one of the gifts of the Mongols, <laughs> in spite of the cost of it. <laughs> we use gifts humanity. with quotation marks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, was it accelerated the amount of trade there for a period of time, uh, where you know the the rush of products that were coming into Europe. At this point, it's now Europe is a very much divided location, mm-hmm. but uh, is is that? But that's an interesting thing as we deal with our, our modern challenges today, and we see the the development of a new Silk Road. Yeah, you know the Belton uh, Belton Road, a concept uh, being delivered by the current Chinese government. <clears throat> we are facing a new Silk Road experience. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a whole, like we mentioned, there's going to be a whole new infrastructure built, a whole new land-based trading network that's really going to change the face of Asia. And as a result of that, it's going to change the global economy as well. Well, we do have one product here 
in our neighborhood that the Chinese might really, really like. Hockey players? And maple syrup. <laughs> <laughs> Either one works for me. <laughs> All right. On that note, we'll wrap up this, uh, this double episode of, uh, of our topic, The Silk Road. I enjoyed doing the research for that. I found it this was... a fascinating journey. I, I was a little overwhelmed, I gotta say, because it's such a big topic. I was like, I don't really know what to talk about. I'm just going to get a good overview here. <laughs> and, and we do encourage any of our listeners, you know, type in on YouTube or podcast the word Silk Road and listen to some of the really good products and, and presentations other people have done. Mm-hmm. It is a fascinating part of human history. Yeah. I'd like to wrap up and thank you for listening. We encourage you to visit our social media contents and pages and send us your comments. And... Uh, uh, as we try to endeavor, tap into the wisdom of the ancient <laughs> ancient world and how it works with our and challenges today in our modern world. Mm-hmm. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.